I would love to go to the World Championships of Monopoly. I think I am that good at Monopoly that I could win. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. I tell you what, today we're going to ca- crack into the board game of Monopoly. We're going to dig into what Monopoly can teach us as property investors. And I tell you what, there are so many lessons of this great little board game, which I would encourage everyone to play. In fact, inside our property investor village, we do often partake in mass games of Monopoly. Yes, we play Monopoly, we play the cash flow game by Robert Kiyosaki, and we even invented our own game when it comes to real estate. We call it the property game. And uh, prior to COVID anyway, when people were a little bit more into going to events, we would run big, massive days of simulating real estate. And I tell you what, there's so many things you can learn from the concepts of board games and apply to the real real estate market. So welcome aboard. If it's your first time tuning into the show, hey, we crack some codes here. So welcome aboard. Remember, play this show in double speed, get your life back and all the episodes are lessons on real estate. Now, I'm not the first podcaster to track and crack the code of the Monopoly board. And I probably won't be the last, but I think there are some lessons certainly that I've learned from Monopoly over the years, which I absolutely apply in the real world of the Australian property marketplace. Now, I'm a fan of Monopoly. I grew up playing a bucket load of Monopoly. In fact, some of my friends and I would have like some serious long games that could go literally several days. In fact, it was pretty common back when I was a kid uh, in the 80s, growing up watching test match cricket, playing Monopoly and, uh, you know, the test match would go for five days and we would try and go for that long playing Monopoly. And of course, um, I think I came into the real world of real estate with a good understanding. So I think if you've got kids, this is a game you should absolutely buy and play with them because they can learn some real life stuff from this uh what would seemingly be innocuous board game. So there's some techniques to play the game of Monopoly and I would love to go to the world championships of Monopoly. I think I am that good at Monopoly that I could win. Now, I actually Googled the world championships of Monopoly and prior to COVID, it was a thing. And uh, I'm seriously considering either going to the world champions to see if I can win or uh, potentially just keeping it simple and getting back our property game, which was 
an awesome game simulating real estate. I think a lot of the listeners would probably have played the property game that we used to put together. It was a bucket load of fun, but it does simulate some real life stuff and things like capital growth, cash flow, and of course, some of the challenges you get through the market. So it's a good idea to learn this stuff because uh, I would rather learn from a board game than spending $800,000 to get a property and then that property goes sideways or wrong. It's a pretty expensive lesson. I guess we all pay for lessons in one way, shape or form and the idea of simulating success is not a bad one to certainly learn some skills. So I'm going to teach you what happens on the Monopoly board so you can take some of the lessons of the Monopoly board and apply them to real life. Now, uh, a lot of the lessons include things like the social interaction of Monopoly. Now, whenever you've played Monopoly, no doubt you've had to wheel and deal. And real estate is a wheel and dealing marketplace. You need to, if you want to be a property investor, be prepared to make phone calls, be prepared to go and see properties, be prepared to drive past properties, be prepared to get on a plane and go and learn property marketplaces. Property is very social. The Monopoly board is also very social. Obviously, there's a lot of banter that happens within the game of Monopoly. And I assume everyone's played Monopoly. If you haven't played Monopoly, you haven't lived. So uh, this podcast probably going to mean nothing to you. But I think the first real lesson from the idea of Monopoly is it is social and real estate is absolutely social. It is a social sport. It is not a sport rather like, I guess, you know, futures trading or foreign exchange. You know, you're not watching charts by the minute trying to work out whether you should buy or sell. You are out and about talking to builders, talking to uh, real estate agents, talking to valuers. It is a very, very social, kinetic kind of uh, thing. So the real real estate market, if you're going to be a property investor, you build teams you build social communities and social communities allow you to reach property success. I guess the next thing that I always learned from Monopoly is it is not a short game. It's not over in 20 minutes. It's not like a game of checkers, right? It goes and goes and goes. And for a lot of people playing Monopoly, the eventual winner is actually someone who just outlasts other people because uh, it is a game of distance. And I think everyone's played Monopoly and just realized, wow, you know, do I really have another five hours to do this? And it's usually that person that gives up first that becomes, you know, doesn't become the winner, right? And it's so true when you compare it to real estate in the real world. Real estate is a long-term vehicle for wealth. And though you can make money over the short term, you can speculate and even try and make money. Over the longer term, real estate is really successful. 
And I see too many people cheat themselves out of big opportunities in life by playing with real estate for three or four years. I've got a client right now, they bought a property three years ago and now they're selling because they didn't map out their world perfectly. In hindsight, they probably shouldn't even have bought the property. They've changed direction so much. They're now going overseas and doing all sorts of other things. So the result of that asset, owning it for three years, is very, very minimal. There's not a lot of gain. In fact, they would have been better off not to buy the property with what it costs to pay for stamp duty and resale fees, right? So short-term thinking on the Monopoly board doesn't work either. It you You... If you can't go the distance, you can't win the game of Monopoly. And it's so true as uh, as it is in real life. I think the next lesson when it comes to Monopoly is someone's going to cheat on the board, right? Some loose cannon you're playing is going to try and nick a 50 from the bank and, uh, you know, put it in their pocket to increase their cash flow position. And this is really also quite real when it comes to the real estate market. There are obstacles when it comes to the people you deal with. Uh, There is a lot of misinformation in the marketplace. There is a lot of people out to get you. There are a lot of real estate agents that want you to be suckered in from the emotions of real estate and pay way too much for it. There is a lot of auctions you can end up going to and being bamboozled by the amount of excitement and guess what you're being cheated out of something because you're too caught up in the emotions of what is going on and as such there are cheats in the marketplace in the real marketplace and maybe cheats a bit of a hostile word but the The concept is the same. Someone's going to nick a 50. Someone's going to try and do you harm. And really, the property market is a marketplace which you have to navigate through. Whether it's getting a repair done and the repair is $300, but you're not uh, on hand to understand the repair. And guess what? The plumber's charging you $500. So cheats are amongst the real estate market in the real world. And some of this stuff uh, you need to be cognizant of and some of this stuff you also need to not let you let stress you. It's just the way it is, unfortunately, in society. I think the next lesson of Monopoly is no one's won Monopoly without having a diverse set of assets. Like, you can't play on the Monopoly board with just one or two properties and then chill out. It's not going to work. Like, you don't win that way. Diversity and asset strength, in other words, a portfolio wins Monopoly. And it's so true in real life as it is in the game of Monopoly. Like, if you buy one property and it's your family home, it's probably going to do very, very well. Like, let's not underestimate, that is a great decision to do. But it probably won't create a huge amount of wealth for you. It will do well for you, but it's not going to create you passive income. The only way to create passive income is to diversify and buy more assets, whether they're real estate or shares or 
more superannuation, whatever it may be, the Monopoly board teaches us that one asset is not going to be good enough. I think the Monopoly board also takes us in a place where luck plays a part. Luck does play a part. Now, I spoke to a client of mine who got into the market just two years ago, right? They'd never owned real estate before and we helped them acquire a a quite good middle ring kind of million dollar property and they've already made close to $500,000 already. Now, that is not normal. Normally, that process takes a lot longer and now they have kind of like this almost perverted view of the real estate market. They're ringing up going, you know, let's do it all again. And, you know, the market's changed now. So now there's a new set of parameters to think through, right? But luck plays a part. For them, there was uh, really luck, but it was directional luck. In other words, they decided to map out their life and choose a new direction for it. Luck came along being the the boom for assets like what they chose, but it was directional luck. And I think the Monopoly board teaches us that if you've got a good, clear strategy, you're going to get luckier on the board than people with no clear strategy. Luck pays a part. Yes, you can end up on the wrong house or the wrong spot of the board, the roll of the dice could, you know, send you to jail or whatever it may be. But the point or the lesson of the board is you need directional luck. And the more directional luck you have, the better off you're going to be. I think we can also learn from the Monopoly board that there are cycles, right? Every time you go around the board, it's kind of like emulating a part of the cycle. So, Every lap you do, another cycle begins. One lap, you can be completely lucky and get yourself growth and get yourself cash flow from uh, landing on the right squares, on the right properties, and your opponents landing landing on the wrong properties. And of course, this simulates growth. This simulates a boom, if you like. And of course, the very next lap of the board, if you like, you can land on the wrong property, someone else's properties and be scolded. And of course, this re-emulates the marketplace. Not every lap is going to be just positive. There are a lot of negatives when it comes to real estate. There are a lot of challenges you have to work your way through when it comes to landing on the wrong spot on the monopoly board. Things like interest rates adjusting, things like the economy shrinking, things like the jobless rate, uh, you know, uh, getting worse. All of these things are real as you do laps or cycles in the real Australian property market. And the Monopoly board does a great job at re-emulating that you're going to have some pain. And I always say this, you know, the point of being a property investor is to embrace the pain. The more pain you can embrace, the better off you're going to be. I think really the next lesson of the Monopoly board, if you ask me, and this is obviously just my view, is your wage is not going to be enough. Now, you start out on the Monopoly board and everyone starts with the same amount of money. 
That is also not normal. It is not normal in real life for all of us to leave school with the same amount of money, with the same amount of family wealth. We all start life with different, uh, I guess, abilities. We all start our economic life with different, different amounts of money, different amounts of jobs, which allows to buy different amount of things. Probably the only thing you cannot re-emulate from the Monopoly board is the fact that everyone in the real world has a different starting position. But what we can learn from the starting position of Monopoly is that you start with the amount of money, you've got to then use that money very, very wisely. And I think there's some big lessons in this lesson from the Monopoly board that all of us perhaps start the Monopoly board with $1,000 and some people can be very wise with that $1,000 and turn that money into income-producing assets. And as such in life, people have a very good job and at the end of the week have nothing to show for it. And it is very, very true that many people inside society just do not know how to be financially normal when it comes to money. They really do piss money up against the wall. And it's the same on the Monopoly board. People don't know where to spend the money and when to spend the money. And of course, this reemulates life, if you like. I think the other thing we can deduce from the Monopoly board is our wage is not going to be enough, right? Every time you go around the Monopoly board, you get paid $200 for passing go. And if that's all you did on the Monopoly board, in other words, you never bought anything, but you just uh, tried to lap the Monopoly board and receive your wage, your $200 for passing go, you're not going to reach retirement with financial success. It's just not going to happen, right? And I think we see this in Australian society that Australians quite often won't invest. A lot of people end up on the pension. Uh, They go around the Monopoly board every year or so. Let's say their Monopoly board is a yearly thing. A year passes, no investments, no shares, no bonds, no uh, dividends, no real estate, right? And of course, the wage is just not going to be enough. You can earn a lot of money in this country and if you don't reinvest it, it's still not going to be enough. So I think the Monopoly board teaches us this, that unless you take that $200 and you go and buy something, your $200 is going to fast run out very, very, very quickly, right? The Monopoly board also teaches us that inflation is real. And the coolest thing about Monopoly is the lo- as l- the longer the game goes, the more expensive it is to remain on the board. And this is so true of real estate. It's so true of Australian real estate. It's so true of life. Like the cost to live in the 1970s is disproportionate to the cost to live today. The longer you're on the board, the more you actually need to survive on the board. Again, the Monopoly game does a great job at simulating inflation. The longer the game goes on, the more the living expenses of the participants of the game increases. In other words, when you 
go around the Monopoly board, you're more likely later in the game to land on a square with pay someone with four houses on the square than at the start of the game when you land on it, there's no houses on the square. And of course, the punishment for landing on that square later in the game is a lot more money. So as time goes on, you need more. And this is, again, one of the biggest challenges for people inside Australian society is to take that $200 wage uh, from the Monopoly board and reinvest it in income-producing assets because the longer the game goes in real life, the more you're going to need inside of your real life. I think we can also deduce from, and I don't even know if deduce is a real word. I don't, it doesn't sound like a real word, does it? Deduce, deduce. I don't know. I can't say pumpkin either. Uh, that recessions happen on the Monopoly board, right? Recessions absolutely happen on the Monopoly board. They happen in real economics and they also happen on the Monopoly board. It's very common on the Monopoly board for you to have potentially a couple of laps which just go completely wrong. And really the simulation of this is very much in line with the truth of real estate investment, that things can come along and just send your ambition sideways. And the fact that you need to overcome sometimes the market stagnating, things going sideways, your life being turned upside down, you know, in the real world, people get divorces, there's uh, challenges with work, there's all sorts of elements which unfairly, just the way it is, impact people. But again, on the Monopoly board, this happens to you. It's very, very common to run into real challenges as the game goes on. And of course, if we go back to really the people who win Monopoly, they have patience to play the long game. And again, I've been in Monopoly board situations where I'm clearly coming second, but the person coming first is losing their patience and wants the game to end. And in real estate, in the real life world of real estate, this is so critical because, again, I've, I've made more money out of real estate than everyone I know because I just hold real estate longer because I've got more patience than most people. Most people are, are changing their life constantly and for whatever reason, that constant change in their mind reflects on their assets and their wealth. Now, I can't put my finger on, on why, but it's obviously just the way it works. You meddle with this stuff you're going to get burnt. If you get off the roller coaster halfway through, you're going to get burnt from real estate. That's how it kind of works. So there's a, a lot to understand about this game, right? It's an exciting concept. Like go grab grab it and play it uh, right now. Grab your family, grab your kids, have a go at this thing, right? Because it'll teach you a lot. So let's talk about the the board itself. Let's talk about the game. We understand there's some clear messages and, and rules from the game, but the board itself is very, very interesting. And this is very much how I analyze real estate, that the board is made up of four quadrants within the real estate marketplace. Very, very similar 
to the Australian real estate market. The four quadrants, if you like, is uh, if we were to navigate our way around the real estate marketplace on the board, and hopefully you can visualize the actual game itself, you're sort of kicking off, if you like, and you go past those sort of brown ones, Old Kent Road. Uh, Old Kent Road ain't going to make people wealthy. And I think we, if you've played the game, you'll understand what I'm talking about, that the the first leg of the board, if you like, where the sky blues are and also the browns, is what we would call the broke end of town. This section of the market is very affordable to buy, but if you put houses or hotels on this section of the board, one could argue you're potentially overcapitalizing in the sim- simulation of real real estate is you do not go to broke areas to overcapitalize. I mean, who wants to go to a broke little Gopnik suburb or village in Australia and uh, spend capital costs? Like, I don't know anyone who wants to do that. And, you know, in the real world, these areas are full of capital costs. They are the worst parts of the socioeconomic zones of our marketplaces. The only reason people go there is because real estate is cheap, but guess what? Everyone's broke in this cheap marketplace. So it makes no sense to me in the real world to buy cheap real estate, like really dirt cheap real estate in really busted ass places. Everyone's broke there. And really uh, the only way out of that area becoming unbroke is, I don't know, like it, it it could take 50 years for that area to be seen as something that is just amazing. So we want to avoid the broke section of the Monopoly board. We're traveling down the Monopoly board. You might visualize the Monopoly board. We've just gone past the jail section and uh, we're turning right on the Monopoly board. And you'll notice that there's the sort of purple and orange colored uh, housing market. And this market is what I would refer to as the affordable end of town. Now, as we know, in real estate, there are kind of four quadrants. There is the broke section, the affordable section, the aspirational section, and the discretionary section. So the cool thing here and what we learn from the Monopoly board is if we buy better assets, we're going to get a better return for our investment. We kind of first discover this really when we get into the orange section of the affordable zone. Remember that affordable zone is both purple and orange. Now this teaches us a great lesson because if we're going to buy affordable real estate, We want it to actually be more linked to the aspirational section of the market. If you uh, can imagine you've just gone past free parking and you've now got the reds and the yellows on the board, that is aspiration. Now, I'll go back to the affordability side of the Monopoly board where we've got the purples and the oranges. The purples and the oranges are a great lesson, right? Because if you buy affordable real estate, you fundamentally want to own that real estate. You are buying the problem of time. 
you are buying the problem of transformation. Transformation hasn't occurred. If it had, the consensus would be in the price. So affordable real estate is great for people to buy because it can end up aspirational. Now, I've mentioned this before personally. I've bought plenty of affordable real estate. Fast forward 15 years uh, since I've owned that real estate, it is now people aspiring to live there. It has gone from affordable to aspiration in the real world. What we don't want to happen is buy affordable real estate and for it to go backwards and be part of this ever-widening broke community. And so when I look at the Monopoly board, the lesson for me is the purples are really a reflection of affordable real estate going backwards and the oranges are a lesson of affordable real estate going forwards. In other words, becoming aspirational. And personally, when I actually play the game of Monopoly, for me, the oranges and reds and yellows are a great value proposition because to put housing on those assets, it is affordable, it doesn't suck your cash flow, and it really does sort of re-emulate the middle consensus of Australia, the middle of the marketplace where the masses of people are. So then we've got the aspirational section, as I alluded to, red and yellow. Again, uh, in the real world, buying an aspirational property is a great thing because people climb over themselves to own that asset and eventually it can even become discretionary. The final part of the board is the discretionary end of the market. This is where we find those greens like Bond Street and uh, those blues like Mayfair and Park Lane. Now, that section of the market, of course, is quite expensive to buy. In other words, you can eradicate your cash flow quite quickly if you buy those assets. So, There has been a lot of thesis done on how to win Monopoly, but I think for a lot of property investors, the challenge for property investors is the cash flow loss to buy discretionary real estate. I mean, can you uh, even fathom having a three or $4 million mortgage on a discretionary piece of real estate in the real marketplace? I'll tell you what, that is expensive, right? The cash flow loss to hold that superior asset in the real world of property investment is too hard for most people. Not all, but hard for most people. I think the Monopoly Board teaches us some pretty cool fundamentals here that if we want to build up and end up being quite wealthy from real estate, if we stick to affordable and aspirational sections of the market, we're not only going to be able to cash flow the assets using the rent, but we're also going to potentially even be able to add value to those assets through uh, adding some elements to the deals themselves, renovating, subdividing, amalgamating, whatever it may be. So there's some very, very good lessons. Now, again, if we go to the discretionary end of the real Australian property market, it has grown the best. There is no doubt on the Monopoly board that Growth and cash flow, like the form of growth in the form of cash flow on the Monopoly board, uh, absolutely propels if you can own the discretionary assets in the market. 
For me, uh, as a property investor, I've been able to buy aspirational properties and use 15 years worth of holding for those properties to become discretionary. They're now the acceleration of wealth on those assets uh, is, is incredible. It's incredible. But to win the game of Monopoly in the real world, I first had to start much smaller. And to re-emulate what that looks like on the Monopoly board, it's uh, the smaller assets were affordable and or aspirational. And it's quite amazing to look at today, uh, looking back on some of my assets, that when I bought them, they, they were affordable. No one really liked the suburb. But what's so interesting is as generations come through and get older, their opinion of a neighborhood is completely different to the opinions that I created in my mind when I first bought those properties. In other words, transformation is not only a transformation of neighborhood, it is the transformation of generations. People do come through with different viewpoints on how the work world works. So the board is great in this context. It teaches us there's broke end of town. You want to steer clear of that. No one's won the Monopoly game with Old Kent Road. I don't know anyone who's won Monopoly with Old Kent Road. I don't know anyone who's wealthy owning Old Kent Road in Australian real estate. I, I don't. I know a lot of people who own those assets and none of them are wealthy. They're all just basically uh, hanging out in chat rooms in um, Facebook talking about their miserable property. That's not a great way to create wealth in my view. I certainly know a lot of people who've bought affordable properties and uh, 15 years later they're, they're very, very uh, wealthy from doing that. And I know people who have bought aspirational properties who are wealthy from doing that. And I know people who have bought discretionary properties who are very, very wealthy off the back of that. They've almost won the real estate lotto, right? But of course, what you don't see behind the scenes in the real world, to buy a $3 million property over 10 years, you're probably spending $500,000 on mortgages, right? And so that loss is not factored in sometimes to the capital growth of those assets. So how do we overcome that? We just buy affordable and aspiration. The rent covers most of the debt. We might have to sling a few dollars in ourselves to prop it up, but nothing horrendous, you know, typically 50, 100, $150 a week. Stuff we can manage. Remember, we're going around go and getting our $200 as we play the game of Monopoly. I think the Monopoly board also teaches us there are a lot of blunders on the Monopoly board. You know, for example, spending cash flow on Old Kent Road or even the utilities, like they really add no value to the overall strength of winning the game. And the real estate market also has this that there is plenty of blunder pieces of real estate which add no value to your portfolio. Sure, there are a roof over someone's head, there are property, they exist, but the likelihood of them ending up high positive cash flow or high capital growth is very, very low. And I think uh, Monopoly teaches us the direct result of winning the game correlates to the assets we end up choosing. 
And so some great lessons off the board. I think we can also learn that the idea of amalgamating a family of properties, like some uh, three colors in a row, if you like, is really the idea that real estate allows us to use the ripple. It does allow us to compound wealth if we can go, well, you know what? I can buy in this suburb. I've got an asset there. Now that suburb is a little bit more expensive. I'm going to try and get the next suburb away. And there really is some lessons in the idea that you can amalgamate the ripple uh, in your portfolio. You can use the logic that there is always something to come. And I think the Monopoly board does teach us that. I know asset allocation in real society is a big topic. In other words, the types of properties you buy and the locations you buy them, and of course, the quality of what's on the asset when it comes to its improvements. I think what we do learn from the real estate game of Monopoly is we always need cash on hand. And again, this is to run the portfolio we, we've acquired. As soon as we run out of cash, what happens in Monopoly? We have to mortgage our improvements. We have to clear out our houses. And then really, once that happens, we're starting to go in the wrong direction. We end up in a place where we sometimes have to mortgage our uh, our land on the Monopoly board. And of course... This happens in the real world, right? If you don't know how to control your cash flow, you can end up in a situation where you can't pay the mortgage. And this is a real thing for people, right? So understanding how to structure your loans, understanding how to have cash reserves, have buffers, have extra money for capital improvements is critical to the real game we play when it comes to Australian real estate. I think the Monopoly board also teaches us that real estate allows us to add value. Now, of course, the best way to add value to real estate on the Monopoly board is to amalgamate colors. And of course, that allows you to write to put houses down. And again, um, that also potentially leads to eventually the right to put hotels down. Now, when it comes to the higher and better use, again, for many of the assets on the Monopoly board, adding a higher and better use to that asset is difficult. It is difficult. It's cash intensive. And some squares on the Monopoly board are also arguably places where you're just overcapitalizing. In other words, to put hotels down on Old Kent Road it's an expensive cash exercise. The return on that investment is not necessarily great. And this is so true of so many property investments. I think the biggest mistake property investors make is to not factor in future capital costs, the costs to uh, bring a property to its normal value state. And so many people buy sort of old properties which are really past their use by date and struggle with capital costs, the cost that comes their way. I was looking at one asset just uh, just this morning. Like it's got $36,000 worth of doors. It needs to be put onto the property because 
the doors and the frames are basically dysfunctional. $36,000 on doors, that is not adding value. That is just maintaining almost like integrity of the asset, right? So you're not going to make money out of putting $36,000 of doors on a property. Yet, so many properties in Australia today suffer this problem. There is no higher and better use. However, Monopoly does teach us that if we can find the right assets on the Monopoly board and we cash flow ourselves well and we create a higher and better use, a better looking property on the Monopoly board that's represented through more houses on the square, we're going to get a bigger and better result from that asset. And that is very, very, very true. The Monopoly board also teaches us another critical lesson And that is that we can change the trajectory of our cash flow by understanding that hotels almost create a new mixed use. And so when we start buying assets, we're acquiring the land, then we build houses, and then eventually to get the maximum amount of rent from properties, we use things like hotels on the Monopoly board. Now, in the real world, this is so true as well. And I always teach this as sort of like a contemporary mixed use. Today, you can buy a great property and you can work out how to increase its rental return by being your own hotelier. You can do things like Airbnb on a property to change the trajectory of its cash flow. Not all properties, but certainly properties in the right location with the right appeal, look and feel, you can absolutely change the trajectory of its cash flow. And again, this teaches us so much uh, on the Monopoly board as much as it teaches us what is happening in real Australia, that there is opportunities out there where we can absolutely buy some growth, but also buy a cash cow. I think the Monopoly board as well also teaches us that we can wheel and deal. Like capital growth is a thing, right? On the Monopoly board, you can buy and sell things to other players. And of course, this is the real market of Australian real estate. We buy and sell stuff all the time. I think the critical lesson here though, when you do analyze what is bought and sold is the best properties are in the highest demand on the property board. In other words, players quite often want the same properties when the game starts. Everyone's got some ideas in mind. Sure, Monopoly is a game of dice, so you do have to factor in what you land on. But for the most part, a lot of the Monopoly players that play the game all want the same properties. And this is so true of the real estate marketplace. There is a lot of money out there. There are a lot of people that want properties and the right properties are, you know, are in hot demand. And it will always be like that. You know, in fact, it's probably going to get even harder to acquire the best properties as competition for them continues to rein in thick and fast. I think the last lessons of the Monopoly board, which I want to share, is of course the luck cards like Community Chest. You can pick up cards which do absolutely re emulate what owning real estate's like. For example, you can pick up a 
you know, chance card, which basically says, you know, you know, you need to repair all of your houses. This is common. And again, I think a lot of property investors love the idea of making money out of real estate, but forget real estate is a real structure. And the card where you sort of pick up, you know, um, the idea of having to renovate all your houses or hotels is very, very true. I mean, just 2019, I was caught with three renovations where I had to improve the asset to maintain the yield. This comes at a cost. This is not free. This is not cheap. You need to run the right structures to be able to handle that. So this stuff on the Monopoly board really does re-emulate what happens in the real world. You can get things like... uh, on, in the chance card or community chess, you know, your tax return is done. You've just received $200. This is true as well in the real game of Australian real estate. Absolutely. One of the best ways to control your cash flow is to make sure you're getting some income producing assets, which get great depreciation as much as anything else. And you're getting your tax cash flow back. There are a lot of lessons from the game of Monopoly. I would encourage you to go and play it. This is my version of the lessons of Monopoly. Hey, thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.